This is the Saltwater and Honey podcast. I'm Sheila. And I'm Lizzie. This podcast includes conversations about infertility, miscarriage, childlessness and faith. And we'd love to hear from you. So contact us on email, uh, hello at saltwaterandhoney.org or on the blog, which started it all, which is saltwaterandhoney.org. We're on Facebook, the Saltwater and Honey community. And of course, Instagram and Twitter, Saltwater and Honey. So do come drop us a line. Let us know what stories matter to you um, and what you'd like us to talk about. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Hello and welcome to the Saltwater and Honey podcast. Today I'm joined by a very, very, very special guest. It's Ellis Matthews. Hello. Three berries. Yeah, I'm overcompensating. Triple, triple berry. <laughs> because obviously I'm disappointed. I'll Lizzie, take those three berries. <laughs> Lizzie isn't here today. Yeah, Lizzie. <laughs> it's not a competition. Get out of my house. Well, she's not here, unfortunately. She is. She's in your heart. Yeah, she is, always. Um, so Ellis is joining us today because we're going to be talking about how infertility impacts marriage. Specifically ours. Yes, mainly ours. Um, but also today we're recording on Father's Day. Um, and Ellis has been in the national newspaper today. Ta-da! What have you been doing, Ellis? Well, well I'm doing anything, but my uh, words have appeared in an article about male infertility and it was something that I uh, set off a while ago and didn't even reckon that I didn't even think oh they're going to publish it on Father's Day of course I should have thought that um but actually the it's a Sunday Times magazine and they had a Father's Day issue with a range of um interesting content hashtag content (laughs) including uh, Safras Manzor's article which I'm interviewed in alongside a whole other bunch of men who have gone through infertility and childlessness and are telling their stories. Lovely. And you you gave him quite a lot of content, which was, wasn't was you, so you put it into a, a little blog post on the blog, so Autumn Honey. Yeah, we use those blog posts that I've just pushed all the uh, unused <laughs> bits, all the... Uh, outtakes and um, it's up there on Saltwater and Honey. I want to do like an Oscars thank you for your words. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> no it's always good it is always good when um, we get to hear from you and Dave in particular um, not Dave in particular as in you and Dave um, but it, it is really helpful and we know that we've got to keep keep the men talking. Yeah. Yeah so welcome. Thanks. Um, big shoes to fill but I'm sure you'll give it a good go. Uh, yeah Lizzie clown shoes. <laughs> Okay, this isn't a like a tack Lizzie podcast. I love Lizzie. Yeah. I saw her yesterday. I think you're obsessed. Um so, <laughs> side note. So we were at a wedding yesterday, which was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful. And it is quite apt then to be talking about marriage and infertility. Yeah. Um when we got married, we were very young. Well, I was. That's rude. <laughs> and um <laughs> And, uh, oh, notification from Jesus saying, condemned. <laughs> oh. Only your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you lie. Uh, no. She was older than me, though. That's just a fact I'm stating. She's a little bit older than me. This is unhelpful and unnecessary. I mean, I'm already struggling with age. Why would you bring that up? You are more beautiful with every passing day. Oh, my goodness. And violence will happen. Right. <laughs> Let's focus. So we're at we're a wedding. wedding. Um, we got married. 
a while ago. We also had a wedding. And you talked about how you liked that their service really acknowledged the kind of challenges that can face people. What what jumped out at you in that sense? Because you brought it up. I did. And I suppose I was just saying when I was a 22-year-old sprightly elf and we were standing at the altar on our wedding day, the vows, which I love in the Christian marriage service, speak of for better for worse for richer and poorer and sickness and health etc etc and i was probably really saying the better richer health bits with my whole heart and quite naively skipping over the worse poorer death bits yeah but actually as time has gone on and as we have struggled in our marriage and with infertility those bits are really meaningful and really helpful to cling on to because we've actually committed to one another through the hard stuff and um yeah when you're going through the pit it's good to have solid words to kind of grasp onto and to and to um go yeah we were there we've shared that moment and we've committed to to that yeah the pit our marriage <laughs> well, we can call it. I yeah. would say is a pit <laughs> No, I'm just, it's just funny. And our marriage is the context for that. The context of the pit. Our marriage. In the blue corner. <laughs> weighing in it. Okay, so next question. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm totally now imagining a wrestling match, which we'd be very good at. I mean, marriage tip. Marriage tip. We wrestling. Have, we have always wrestled. Never for a while. No, no. Feeling that about maybe <laughs> coming on. So let's finish this podcast. <laughs> Get in the pit. <laughs> Ellis and I are very well suited for wrestling because he has more upper body strength and I have better lower body. So it's basically a tussle till the till someone falls to asleep. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah, Sheila's got a mighty strangle <laughs> on my legs, like my legs, my thigh. Okay, my thighs. <laughs> Zoning in there. Yeah, really focusing in. That's a little treat for our uh, listeners. Um, all four of you, hello, welcome. I'm not getting invited back, am I? No. Um, so, infertility, they've, they've obviously heard that they've been our loyal listeners, have heard my version of our infertility story. So, do you want to give us your one and I will try not to interrupt? You want the story from my point of view? Yes, yeah, okay. please. So, Sheila and I married 2005, about five years in, we are going for a family, uh, a year after the trying period, we rock up at the doctors. First things first, you blood tests and semen analysis for me. I do one, I do two. I get the results. We're sitting in the doctor's office and she says, you have zero sperm. That's when the word azospermia came into our dictionary. And our we, family dictionary, our we, write in, we write our words in. Yeah, that's a good modern day Dr. Johnson. And uh, then begins, well, we remember this differently, but um, a few months of dealing with that diagnosis, me trying to put a brave face on it, trying to do this whole be strong thing, that not really going very well. And at the turn of the year, um, going into quite a few months of depression, kick-started with an anxiety attack, a bit of medication, a lot of counselling, and a lot of months later, we moved to Cambridge, having undergone as much of the medical options as we possibly could. So for the um, acronym geeks, we had 
I had a micro tease uh, to potentially extract sperm from the testy directly from the source <laughs> uh, to use in ICSI if it had been successful, but it wasn't. And we finally heard that it wasn't successful on the day that the London Olympics started. And Sheila, for those who won't be able to see her, only I can, is wearing her Team GB hoodie, just mm-hmm. to remind me of that uh, portentous day in which the red arrows flew over the top of our house because we were living in Stratford in East London. And the Olympics began and our dream kind of ended. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is like the start of a film. Dramatic, right? That yeah. was the most dramatic moment probably of the whole thing. So I like to tell that bit. Um, but when we moved, after the kind of just spending the whole of the Olympic and Paralympic period just watching it, I'd left work because I had to give my notice in. I couldn't really hack it. We moved to Cambridge and a year after moving in there, had worked through a lot of issues and gone through the whole sort of marriage thing in, in the midst of that. I'd started at Vicar School and after that year was up, we'd got to a place where we could comprehend beginning fertility treatment with donor sperm in order to write a new story I suppose for for our uh, lives and we went down that road and I don't know how long like it took from being there a year I suppose it was a another year another year and or nearly year and two I suppose yeah. by the time that our second round of IUI was successful and um, our son was conceived and I was there. Okay, let's not go into. <laughs> we had an Italian gynecologist who was Valentina. Very chirpy. She's so lovely. I loved her. We'd gone through a couple, haven't we? We we we'd moved from one to another. Mm. We settled on her, and she was did the business. We had to reject one doctor because I, I did not like him. <laughs> she just said no. Yeah, I was like, you are not coming anywhere no. near my vagina. No. Oh. Good, thank you. Thank you for that. It's always interesting to hear your version of events. And I always think it's really interesting listening to men and women tell the same story because what a woman would focus in on compared to how you focus in on. And I'm sorry if there was a, like, a little snigger when you said source, but it's only because you're talking about testicles. And I don't know, I just found it funny. I'm really sorry. It was you're a horrible like time. A nine year old. Yeah, you know, and a micro tease. Don't you just imagine like a tiny doctor waving at you? Hello! Some of the terms <laughs> are, are funny. insensitive at best. Yeah, ooh, micro tease. Because you are, a, you love a tease. I love a micro tease. Like cups of tease. <laughs> <A little> tease. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't even feel a micro tease, would you? Like, just, I'm not teased. <laughs> anyway, so, so, okay, so that, that's happening to us. What's going on? How did that? This <laughs> has got a serious face on. How did that impact our marriage from your point of view? You're going to be so exhausted by the end of this doing all this talking. I this love it. This is amazing. Uh, well, how didn't it? Is that a valid response? Don't throw a question back at the questioner. <laughs> I guess it's for us, it's the most intense, deep, difficult. Uh, yeah intense I'd say thing that we've had to journey through and because I had mental health uh, problems particularly after the diagnosis I was 
having a relationship with you while also trying to get my identity back in some ways or like try to be my true self which so so I can only imagine what that was like for you because I think we've both got quite strong personalities and in our relationship I've tended to be the optimist or the the energetic mm. person half of the relationship and Peppy. That, that, I always called you Peppy. You called me Peppy. Peppy Le Pew. Yeah. And that that went for a, a good chunk of a year. Peppy right? died. <laughs> like, that's how it felt. Or it was just very inconsistent. So we went to visit family in Arizona during that period. And we had two brilliant weeks mm. where I probably was back to my old self. Getting but I was there. not having to deal with work. I could I was it was an escape and I think what we learned what I learned certainly is how to not escape bad feelings or problems but to walk through them and to have to do that with another person with Mm. you was a valuable lesson but really bloody hard Mm. yeah it is interesting like when you when you think back I think our dynamic has changed like like forever really through this but not in a bad way um but I do think that you were Mr Positivity Mr everything's going to be okay we can do this you know um you always you know a hopeful person and then when that and it wasn't that you didn't have hope you just had no capacity to hope I think maybe or like you hadn't yeah you had no capacity to even get Clothed. I just became quite <laughs> inert and unresponsive, I suppose. Yeah, and it was quite a dramatic shift. Um, I think, and it's like it, the intensity of that year um, was quite remarkable, really, because it was it. When I look back at it, um, I know I was deeply sad, but I also know I was very numb. So, like, it was a functioning in a fog kind of thing, just mm. getting up, getting to work. And I, and I find it really interesting that I went to work. Like, I never stayed off work to look after you, and I don't know if that was... I think that was your escape as well, you know. Yeah, but that seems... Or your refuge. Wrong. I don't no, know. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that was a gift. So, you know, I took a break from work and then left work early, and you were supporting the family. You were keeping the show on the road. We just bought a house. Yeah. And... um. We didn't suffer too hard, really, the financial consequences of my illness and of our diagnosis. We didn't suffer the financial consequences of fertility treatment. All of our treatment was on the NHS in the end. And I know that a lot of people who listen to the podcast and read the blog and who are going through it aren't in that that boat. You know, we managed to go through, what, three, four years... um, qualifying for nhs treatment and it was successful and yeah that's not the case the impact it had on our relationship was to that you know was affected by that and so for people who have to go through the losses that they've had the illnesses that they are enduring and spending money yeah time and time again in that monthly cycle we that's not our experience and i don't know if that had been in the mix what the consequences for us would have been yeah I think the weight of that is quite crushing 
I, I can imagine, like not just having the emotional uh, pain, but the financial uh, obligations to. Because money is emotional. Yeah, yeah, and if you don't have it to hand and you're borrowing it and all sorts, so it it would be really difficult. So we were we were very very fortunate. Um, and it's interesting, like so we moved and moving was really helpful. That kind of you know a change is as good as a rest sort of thing. It was quite it came at a really important time because I'm not sure if we'd stayed where we were, would we have been as, um, I don't know, as healthy in how we approached it all because everything had to stop because of the 12 months waiting and just being in a theological college, which was challenging, but we found some amazing, amazing friends and what an amazing community. I, you know, it, I, I don't view it looking back as a, a coincidence, but I, and also taking the, the pause button was pressed for us because of that move. And I think pressing the pause button, had we not moved, would have been the right thing to do yeah. as well. But you don't get that idea no. <laughs> at the point of diagnosis and mental health coming in and um, they're big decisions about how you know, can we live a story that is not the one that we imagined was, was what God had in store for us. Can we do that with integrity? Can we do that prayerfully and consciously and um, and, and without shame? Well, that took us a year at least to get our heads around. But we were given the gift of that year because of our circumstances. Mm. And I just think that was, again, a valuable I don't know if this is to do with marriage, but um, I suppose that happened for us. That happened, you know, we, we didn't get to choose it. But having the confidence to, to look one another in the eye and say, OK, let's press pause. Yeah. And make peace with that. Would you have been able to do that to me? Because did you feel like I need to give this to Sheila? I think there's a ma- there was a that's definitely a thing. And one of the things that I found hardest going through that was I often thought about our wedding day and my marriage vows. And that had got all caught up with the idea of fathering a child with you. And specifically, or or like, you know, literally, that's not what we were vowing. Hmm. But it was completely the thing that I felt a responsibility to you to provide. And I couldn't. Genetically, I couldn't. So so now I think, well, it's not my fault. I was born that way. And so I can relieve some of that responsibility from my shoulders because it was an impossibility. But at the time, it was one of the things that really was crushing. Mm. Now, in the um, blog post you did today and in the Times thing, they pick out this story of a argument we had where I was like, really, I told you how angry I was with you and obviously with God and with the situation and stuff. And um, people seem to pick up on this story (laughs) for some reason. It doesn't seem normal to others. (laughs) I know. But I mean, what can I talk a bit about that? Sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It is one of the standout moments of, in, in terms of our marriage for me and one of the worst and best moments in our 
story of infertility because it took an amazing amount of courage and um, vulnerability on your part to say the things that you've been holding on to. I think you say you didn't even really realise until we were having the conversation. Well, no, we'd been doing a thing about confession in our spouse's group at college. I'd led a session on confession. And one of the things about confession is that it it's a release for the person who confesses that hidden thing that they're harbouring. And it was only after doing that that I recognised that's what I was harbouring. And I knew mm. I had to tell you. And it wasn't really an argument as such. No. I, there wasn't anything I could say in response to say, well, I'm, you can't say that. You were unloading a whole load of stuff. And it was really hard to take because you'd been angry at me and you were letting me know about my infertility, which is nothing I could do anything about. And so it was really hard to take. But it was also really it was a sign of strength in a way that you that we'd had that conversation because if you could tell me that then there were no secrets there was no there was not going to be any grudge mm. because we could work through it from that point on mm. and yeah I think I had anger towards God at various points in those those years and releasing that and uh in the same way did a lot of good yeah yeah well it's interesting because I I think it was a really helpful moment because I think the harbouring of the anger just came out in other ways so it's like oh disappointment that you're not tidying up or doing things without me having to ask you know and it's and obviously we still have those arguments but it was definitely weighted more because of that situation and I think it's worth recognising what am I feeling here and it was definitely anger and we try, I think, as a result of that and other conversations, to not have elephants in, in our marriage, right? To No elephants is one of the things that we said. And on our honeymoon, we brought back from Sri Lanka a wooden elephant. I don't know where it is now. Is it, is it over there? That yeah. sat in our fireplace in our front room for the whole of <laughs> yes, our... There's an elephant in the room! There was always an elephant <laughs> in the room. And it's become such a helpful <laughs> marriage tool, really, just to say, look, no elephants... And talk about the thing that is really the thing rather than have the conversation about the pants on the floor or the washing up pile. Because we've seen the power of naming the thing that is in the room that is is underneath it all. And for years it was the infertility, right? And it was – so those first few months where you were saying, are you all right? How is this affecting you? Um, Asking me questions and I was was numb and not able to say how I was feeling because I didn't know – and then it all came out. Well, now we're a lot more mature, I think, about getting to the the real thing before. Yeah, I think I think we've found a bit more of a balance in that. I think previously you probably let me do what I wanted a lot of the time, probably like for a quiet life. Ellis loves a quiet life. But like I am a big <laughs> personality in that sense. So I always know what I want, whereas you don't always know what you want. You're and, very good at letting me know <laughs> what the standard is. Yeah, but I guess that what's good is, I think, and also harder, is now you know what you want better. I think you have discovered more, like it's still probing, um, <laughs> but I think it's good, and that is a hard thing going through infertility, like you said, like where you, 
you can get on a bit of a steamroller. Okay, right, we're going to do this and this, this and this. And I think for men in particular, to say to their partner, I think we need to press pause, or I'm not sure about this, or how yeah. how are you feeling about this, rather than just doing, doing, doing. That is really hard, but actually, I'm really grateful that I think we confront things in a more balanced way now, which is still a battle because you have to hear each other and hear hard things. And we work at different paces emotionally. Yeah. yeah. So for you, it's having the patience to allow me to understand my emotions in a situation. Yeah. Which is, I get, really annoying. <laughs> and for me, it's to really work at understanding my emotions and to speak up. Yeah. And not just to get on the Sheila train, but to... It's a great train. It, it's the Sheila and Ellis train. <laughs> yeah, the Sheila It's a double-decker. <laughs> a double-decker train, like the ones in America. Yes, they have them. Run, baby, Sally. run. Oh, yeah, it's like, a oh, it's a Mustang, sorry. Um, okay, Mustang, so... Mustang, sorry, is a great... Mustang, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, now, marriage. We can't talk about marriage without maybe talking about sex <laughs> sex oh we can talk about marriage without talking about sex um but the male and don't feel you have to go into any detail um but like how did infertility affect your view of sex and marriage like linkedin oh i don't know um <laughs> i didn't tell him i was gonna ask this how did infertility affect my view of marriage and sex linked in yeah like as in sex yeah sex sex ellis <laughs> keep talking this is stuff of dreams while i'm thinking uh, <laughs> because obviously we lizzie and i talked about how it affected us yeah i listened to that episode yeah it's just Thanks. for pleasure featured well um um because you obviously having you know your micro teeth you got you, you know you're finding out you've got no sperm like, how did that affect you as a man and the, you know, the desire of sex? <laughs> this is weird. I don't know. I suppose if you're dealing with difficult emotional stuff, it has an impact on you physically. And so we have both experienced fluctuations in our sex drive and therefore our sex life while going through different stages of stuff. I, I you know, a body's a body and so all the medical procedures and all that I don't think that had a lasting impact and um didn't create any problems for me certainly uh desire and all those sorts of things well to me sex is bound up in our relationship and so it's much more how our relationship is that affects that that for me intimacy and closeness and and uh where sex comes into play it's not about whether I what sex is for okay as much I think um so what what would you give as advice to a couple who are um finding out they're going through infertility so they're in that that darkest place um what advice would you give to a man in particular because there is that very different emotional and physical responses so what advice could you give them I, I think the best advice to give a man at the beginning of that journey is to is to lean into the emotional side of the relationship, is to work out what is 
how you're feeling about it and prioritize that rather than going down the um the road of well we've got this number of times to do this sex thing to <laughs> improve our chances um you have to guard your heart in marriage to guard your heart and that's because that's what you give when you marry someone and um yet remember that the medical professionals the clinicians the people the fertility experts are going to encourage you to just do a and then b and then c and then d it's a process it's a linear process and we're going to try every avenue until we get the positive outcome they're not advocating for your the healthy healthiness of your marriage yeah. your emotional well-being um other people will look after that and you can get counseling and that's all good but when you're on the fertility treatment journey you and your partner are responsible for um, guarding your hearts guarding your hearts and so doing those selfless things that you know that your wife your partner will love and will make them feel special and seen as a person in the midst of that and not just that you are two bodies trying to uh, reproduce hmm. or in my case you know that was that was not part of the equation we were uh, we had to get around the idea of donor insemination and how that will affect our relationship mm. but if you're still in the room then um don't forget to guard your heart i suppose yeah no i think that's really good i think something i'm really grateful for is that we got to a place where i think we'd kind of said if this doesn't happen the you know our relationship it, it is more important to us like the marriage the relationship is the important thing and it would be wonderful to have children but if we don't we we can have a beautiful life together we can have life in all its fullness together um and i'm grateful we got to that place because i think it's a place to keep coming back to because you can uh even now being parents get caught up in that and forget it's the marriage that's that that kind of foundation for all of that um my last question before we finish up and um, uh so if you've got any last thoughts i'm giving you time is i'm wondering if you could just sort of say something perhaps about being an infertile father like if that's something how have you processed that yeah um so i'm super chuffed to be uh, a dad and I'm the only dad that our son has and it's a awesome responsibility and uh, I was there when he was conceived I was there when he was born so I've been fully involved in the first four years of his life and I want to be present and I want to be around and I want to enjoy all those moments as he grows up and being infertile hasn't detracted from any of those moments and that those those uh, memories in the slightest I would say hand on heart it hasn't hasn't impacted the bond that we formed and the relationship that we have and the silly things that we do it has made me thankful I suppose it has made me feel a great responsibility to be a parent to him because 
of the journey that we've gone on. Um, I, I, I wasn't really that worried once we decided to go down that route about that I would feel less than or unworthy of being our son's father. And I, and I guess I'm often asked, you know, did, did, did you worry about that? Were you, were you sure? <sighs> Tell me what you think, because I don't think I ever, once we made the decision, I don't think I was that insecure about it. It's flared up like in conversations and jokes, I suppose, down the way but like you know into you know it's, it's an easy thing to kind of go to go to and just say oh well but we've not really done that I would say I would say it's been pretty good on the whole yeah I'm looking at you to I know talk. but I'm not sure you're, yeah you're I, well I'm just sort of wondering yeah do you need some affirmation there perhaps you know like um well it's more about how my am I recollecting that yeah no I definitely do and I think um I I think all the things that you think will be an issue haven't there's definitely been you know it it is there is a you know it would have been wonderful for you to have a genetic connection but you have a very deep connection with him um regardless of that and I think uh that's super special like you have this bond which is there um which is not a biological one but it's almost like it's it's even more because it's a choice you know it's your choice to to adore and love him the way you do um and I wonder I mean I I think it maybe as he gets older perhaps and his nature and nurture stuff uh, is less evident or more evident I don't know um and it's hard as well to see is he like me or is there something I mean I blame everything negative on the donor so it's fine (laughs) But, yeah, yeah. And, and we had the ridiculous experience when he was very young of people saying that he looked like me. Oh yeah, and, all the time. And it happened quite a lot, which on the one hand was annoying and on the other hand was affirming in a way that people could see something of me in him, even though we knew and would tell people appropriately that that, that wasn't the case. But also, I don't know, uh, along the way we got godchildren, godsons. Yeah. And... I remember you being really impatient for godchildren, <laughs> much more so than than children for a, for a yeah. large number of years. I really wanted to be a godmother, and when we were asked for the first time, and then I've lost count now of how many godchildren we have. Oh, get a lot. But there's a yeah for me because I'm not genetically related to my son. The experience of being a godfather is as you know is a strong about forming yeah. that bond with someone else's kids and being given some responsibility and praying for them and being a father figure Mm. was a formative experience that's actually a really good example yeah like because we got to love them as as parents but like extended parents yeah no thanks love oh this has been good we've not argued really um on record yeah (laughs) yeah no, no this is this is great um obviously miss lizzie but um We'll get her feedback. For well, I you. hope I can come back on the podcast again in a few years. <laughs> your millions yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, thanks for listening. If you have and you've got to this point, and do uh, get in touch. You know the ways to do so. Um, we love to hear from you. And so, check out the blog post. Yeah, check it out and leave Ellis a little comment. Uh, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.